All right, welcome to Vineyard 201, and uh, today we're going to talk about communion, and then we're going to talk about fellowship. We'll talk about communion for a big chunk of the time, because uh, this is uh, one of those things that the Lord told us we needed to be doing. Uh, it's a, the two ordinances. We talked about one in Vineyard 101, that was baptism. This time, I wanted to, today I want to talk about communion, and uh, the the idea behind communion, the, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, however you know it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, it's really, every time we partake of it, it's an exciting thing. You, you, you'll know that we value it here because we do it every weekend. Um, different churches have different traditions on how they will do the Lord's uh, Supper, the Lord's Table, and it's all fine. Um, and so some churches will do it. Once a month, some churches do it on the fifth Sunday, whenever that happens, every quarter. Uh, some do it like we do every week. For some, um, it becomes more even of a central part of the way that they do it. Um, and uh, some people, uh, some churches believe that the body and blood, when we celebrate the bread and the cup, it actually becomes the body and blood. Um, we tend to think of it more as a symbol of those things. But um, I'm, I'm okay with how people take and and go with that whole process you know we have a we're fortunate to have a lot of people here from a lot of tradition and it's all good but uh, uh, it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing and what's going on in the process and um, this this was instituted the communion in the church in effect uh, on the uh, the eve of Jesus death um, and um, it was taken right out of a Passover meal uh, the, the 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 communion that we celebrate now and um, it's, uh, it's for us to remember um, what Jesus has done and, and his resurrection and, and uh, looking forward to that time of his return. And, and so when we celebrate communion, it's a remembrance for us. We're remembering all those things. Now, the Passover was, um, you know, the, one of the feasts that was celebrated every year by the uh, Jewish people. It commemorated the, uh, the final plague on Egypt. And um, if you haven't studied those in a while, you, you may want to go back and read uh, Exodus 12 and, and, um, and talk about what the Passover was celebrating. But just the, the short form of what's taking place, so you know, is that the, the people of Israel were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. God was going to rescue them. That's the story of the Exodus. Um, Pharaoh it won't let the people go, um, but, but God is... Proving to everyone in Egypt and to Pharaoh, who Pharaoh believes he is God, that Pharaoh is not God, that there is one God. And uh, he institutes these series of plagues. These plagues happen, uh, each one sort of specifically picking off one of the uh, little G gods in Egypt, showing that there is one big G God and he will overcome them. The last thing that goes on there is the, um, the first event, is the death of the first plague on the firstborn. And... Um, uh, they have a chance, let them go, or this is going to happen. They haven't let them go. They've suffered the consequences. Uh, and this, this idea of death on the firstborn comes in, and um, it's going to impact uh, all of Egypt. The, the children of Israel are going to be spared by um, celebrating um, a, with a lamb that they're going to they're going to take. Um, it's going to be a one-year-old lamb without defect. They're going to bring it into their, actually bring it into their home, it says, for a few days. So it's, 
Um, they actually get used to this lamb. Uh, the sacrifice of it is more significant at that point. The lamb is sacrificed. The blood of the lamb is put on the doorpost of the, the house of the people of Israel. The, all the Jewish people put blood on. The, and when the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they, they're passed over. And the firstborn are spared. And so that's the story that's taking place. And, and it's all pointing, all of those things are pointing to Jesus, who you'll we'll see in the scripture is our Passover lamb. And his blood applied to us causes us to be passed over uh, and, uh, in, in a very cool way in that whole process. So all of that's going on. And you'll hear us say in our communion uh, speech, uh, if you would, and it's just communion prayer is what it is. Just, we always say during the Last Supper, a Passover celebration so that you're connecting with what's taking place. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples um, is on that Thursday. He was celebrating the Passover and the next day he would be crucified, crucified. And then Sunday he would um, rise from the dead. So Luke 22, 19 through 21 says he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And then they conclude, they conclude the feast by singing a hymn, Matthew 26, 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, they went out into the night to the Mount of Olives. It was there just as Jesus has said was going to happen where he's betrayed by Judas. And then the next day he's crucified. Um, you can read about the accounts of the Lord's Supper in, in, uh, in the Gospels. I'm not going to read every account in Matthew 26, 26 to 29. I think that's in your notes. Mark 14, 17 through 25. That's in your notes. Luke 22, 7 through 22, which is in your notes. Let me read um, the account from the Gospel of John uh, to you. And talk about it just for a moment. So in John 13, 21 through 30, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple disciple, and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Now, um, when you think about that last supper... Uh, I, I, I know I've told you this before. We have a tendency in our minds, a lot of us, to think about the painting that you've all seen of the Last Supper um, that has all the guys seated on one side of the table with Jesus in the middle. Everybody know the painting that I'm referring to in the process? Uh, which is a fascinating payment, painting, don't get me wrong. If you start looking at the lines in the painting, if you ever get a chance to do this, they all point to Jesus. The, the, the way that, that it's done... You can, you can put a ruler on it because you can't see it with your eyes without doing it. You start looking at what they're looking at and the way the curtains are pointing and everything. All of them are pointing to Jesus. Fascinating picture, but really not what the Last Supper looked like. And uh, so it's not like a portrait of the Last Supper. People start, it's not, it's not what the Last Supper looked like. It wasn't painted then, right? So, uh, and then, you know, I always tell you the joke that was because of the way they're on one side of the table that at some point Jesus said, Hey, everybody that wants in the picture, get on this side of the table. 
So, um, but that's not right either. Uh, this, the, you, you hear about them reclining. So they, they didn't eat meals the way that we tend to do now around tables. They reclined. And, and so most of the meals would have happened on, on the floor. And rather than sitting, um, they would be sort of stretched out. And the, the cultural way to, to eat a meal like that was that they would be in the center, would be sort of the table, and, and they would be all around the table sort of stretched out. And by that I mean they would be uh, uh, laying down, I'm not going to get down on the ground, and, and generally on this elbow, it messes up my microphone, leaning uh, with this on the ground and then laid out behind them, their feet at the end. That's why in some of the stories when you're reading, when somebody comes up and has their feet washed, it's often in that whole process going on at the, at the end of the table. Well, why I even bring that up is that, that, just so you can see what's happening, so Jesus would have been there at the table, and, and John, when John leaned back against him, it just means that John was this next person over to him, and it was easy to lean back against him because they were... They were all sitting at the table. He would have just kind of leaned back and talked to Jesus. So Jesus is then able to give Judas a piece of bread and nobody notices it. So, so just by thinking about it, where do, you, where do you reckon Judas was? Right next to Jesus. Right behind him. Jesus, Judas wasn't like an outcast. He was a big deal in the mix. And so he's here and Jesus hands him the bread and takes it and things happen. Go do what you're going to do. Up he goes. And he's out of there. Uh, but but I, I think it's interesting to sort of have a picture of what's taking place at the Last Supper. And, and just so that when you are taking communion, it always means something to you. Um, we're never to take it lightly. It should never just become a formality. It should never be something that you do just because it's there. Uh, it's a much bigger picture. And, and you know, to... Um, to, to sort of process through a lot of people the way we do it, we've, we've sort of, we've got it with a little piece of, we use, you know, matzah crackers. And, uh, and by the way, we use gluten-free crackers here just, uh, just because it was easier to not have to have two sets of crackers. And, uh, and, and, and you can't taste the difference. And, and a little, you know, thimble full of, and we use grape juice too, just, just so you know. Um, because that's easier as well. Uh, so it's not actually wine that we use. I've had people walk in, you know, there's glasses of grape juice over there and think they're getting away with something and chug a whole glass of grape juice. And I go, but I, I really probably shouldn't have put that on the video. Anyway, here we go. So, uh, and then I was going to say, and you know, it's a prop. So the glass stuff doesn't, it's sometimes it's been around for a little while. You know, the stuff in the little thimbles is always fresh and brand new. But anyway, neither here nor there. So, um, Maybe I can go back and edit. I doubt it. It's too much work. Uh, so, uh, you know, communion was it was way, had way more of a meal feel. Let me just make sure you you get that. So, so you you've probably noticed we do a lot of meals here. Has anybody noticed that? That's on purpose. That's that's got the whole idea of communion behind it. Us getting together around a table. You know, Jesus was so good about inviting people to the table. He invited everybody to the table. So as we do, everybody's invited to the table. You hang out, you fellowship. That's a lot of the idea that was going on with communion, but with this element of remembrance in what's taking place because they were celebrating a meal and they had to remember. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11:23-29. He gives us a little more information on communion. For what I received from the Lord, 
for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what Paul is sort of adding to the gospel accounts is this idea of it's a remembrance and we're not to take it lightly. Don't ever let it become just something that you do because it's something you've always done. Always the idea of remembrance. When, when we do the, the communion prayer, um, we also add those Passover elements. You see, you'll see us introduce the cups that would have been part of the Passover meal. Uh, sanctification and, and plagues and redemption. And, and things really happen on uh, the cup of redemption. That, that, that's another um, discussion altogether uh, about what happens at that point when, when Jesus, in effect, is, um, is using some... Um, uh, marriage proposal type language to his disciples and, and ultimately about, you know, the church being the bride and Jesus bring, being the groom. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that are happening even at that moment. But as we celebrate, that's what's going on and what we remember. And, uh, and so we want to make sure that we're never just kind of doing it by rote, that, that it's always that idea of taking that moment and realizing what Jesus has done for us and, and we're celebrating it. Uh, in this way, and we're remembering and celebrating until his return. Um, the the idea of the 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 bread being broken, you know, um, Jesus um, went through the breaking of his own body uh, on the cross. The psalmist says in Psalm 22 in a in a prophetic psalm about what would happen with Jesus. Verse 12, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey uh, open, their mouths. Uh, Tearing their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a, a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. People stare and gloat over me. A uh, prophetic picture of what was going to happen. And, and crucifixion was horrific. Um, it was a horrific, slow, torturous, horrible process that Jesus went through for us. And in effect, they, they died. Um, they, they sort of drowned uh, in themselves because they couldn't clear anything out of their lungs. The, the, um, the way they were um, crucified and what was going on in that position. And because they had nailed them through their feet as well, legs, they couldn't. The only way to get any relief was to push up against that pain in your legs, which would intensify that pain as well. It was horrific. And Jesus does that for us. And so, so again, we, we don't take it lightly in the process. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced. for. And he wasn't, you, you get, he wasn't stricken by God the, prophetically. What he's taking on, what Jesus is taking on is our brokenness. You get it? He's taking on our sin. That's what's taking place here. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we were healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before uh, her shears is silent so he did not open his mouth. So we have that picture of his body. So that's what's happening when you're taking the bread. So again, it's not just a cracker. It's, it's a picture. It's a, it's a remembrance of what's taking place. Um, the blood uh, also talks about this experience and ties us back into Passover. Um, but Jesus would shed his blood on our behalf. Um, all of it ties back to the promises we talk all the time, uh, the, the the crimson thread of redemption. Most of you know, if you've studied with me before, Genesis 3.15 is where it starts. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offsprings and hers, and he'll crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, and and the, the, the striking of the heel is actually that, that picture of being nailed to the cross in that way, uh, in, in what's happening. And so, um, and then, you know, that thread of redemption pushes all the way through to the cross. And we, we know that, you know, it doesn't end at the cross. Jesus defeats death and rises again. And we know that, you know, he's coming back for soon. And we, we know that he's going to be with us in, a, in, in the resurrected body he has as we join him in our own resurrected bodies, new heaven, new earth, you know, all those things. Uh, and so the idea of taking communion is a remembrance in those things, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a picture of what he's done uh, in the process and um, that he was the Passover lamb. First Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Paul makes that connection for us so we don't miss it. He's our Passover lamb, uh, perfect without defect, and uh, his blood covers us in the process. Let's look at Hebrews 8, 8 through 13. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling the covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Oh, what, what, we're, what we're seeing there is that the old sacrificial system was no longer needed because Jesus has come and once and for all made the perfect sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb. He has taken care of it once and for all. 925 of Hebrews. Now, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So um, in his first coming, uh, he's gone to the cross, he's defeated death, he's risen again, we're waiting for his return. But when we celebrate communion, that's what we're, we're remembering. Everything that he's done, uh, everything that he's doing, and everything that he's promised to do. You'll hear all that language in our communion prayer. And so 
never take that for granted. Always be sort of checked in when you go to take communion. Always think, okay, this is a remembrance. I'm remembering what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's promised. And I, I'm awaiting his return. So that's the idea behind communion and why we consider it uh, to be so important and why we celebrate it here every weekend for anybody that wants to uh, partake, all believers. All right, that's communion. Fellowship. Uh, What's fellowship? Uh, kind of a, an interesting word. And, and uh, fellowship, the way we understand it biblically um, in the New Testament, it's a, it's a partnership um, to the mutual benefit of those involved. So, so Christian fellowship is, is the mutually beneficial relationship between Christians who can't have that exact kind of relationship with those outside the faith. So it doesn't mean you can't have relationship with outside the faith. You absolutely can. You can have friends and all sorts of things. But there is something that we can, uh, there is something about the relationship that we can have with other Christians that you can't really have anywhere else. Um, because we, we all have the same spirit and the same Lord and all those things are going on. There's a, there's a uh, connection that can happen that just doesn't happen anywhere else. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been talking to someone, you didn't know them, but you knew they were a Christian? You ever experienced that? You just knew it. They hadn't done anything, hadn't even said anything, but there was a, there's a quickening or something. I have that happen fairly often. It uh, doesn't always happen, but, but I, I, I experience that. That's, that's an idea of something that's going on in this, this whole process. So um, th- this idea uh, of Christian fellowship exists because of the grace of God. And, and, um, and so all of us who believe we're, we're united in Christ in a, in a significant way by the Spirit. And so we, we, we have just a, a, an amazing way to, to, that we can relate to one another. Now, that, don't hear me say that, that just because someone else is a Christian that we're automatically going to have an easy relationship. Because uh, it's not true. Uh, because we're still, we're still um, got a lot of our own ideas, right? And we still put ourselves first in a lot of situations and we, we still think, think certain things. I'm not saying that's, you know, I'm just saying that there are uh, often conflicts in, in church, which is sad, but it happens. If we are understanding the importance of fellowship, um, what we learn to do and what I think Paul teaches us is we learn how to be able to continue to have relationship even when, when there's things that we may not absolutely agree on. And that we learn by the Spirit to put those things over here in a place where we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them to us, all of us. And, and that we remain open to what other people have to say. And then we're allowed to, to we, we continue to have fellowship. And part of the reason that's so important is because... The way that we fellowship has an impact on the world around us. People look at it. And if we're just contentious and, and just like everywhere else, it, it blows that witness significantly. So, so you know, um, and for me, I'm pretty excited that, like, everybody's not just like me. I, I think a church of everybody like me would not be a good thing. <laughs> but, but... Uh, it might not be a terrible thing. No, no, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> do you get it? It, it? It's it's the richness. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking a lot on the weekends. I know I shouldn't be bringing up weekend talk on the video, so I won't say much. But but see, there's this the the promise of what's coming is is just it's a richer and deeper 
experience and what we're experiencing. But there are places by the Spirit where we tap into that now. And so there's a richness in our fellowship. There's a, there's a depth to our fellowship that we want to make sure we understand and that we hang on to in the process. Um, Jesus talks about it in John 17:21 in the high priestly prayer. Uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. Let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That, uh, there's that picture there of that complete unity. It's, it's the, the oneness that we can experience in true fellowship. It's a, it's a oneness with one another. It's a oneness with Jesus. Um, just in the way that, that Jesus is with the Father. Um, and, and what's happening in us and the Spirit in Jesus with the Father. All of it. It's this picture of this connection that is um, available to us. That's just amazing in the process. First John 1 John 1.3 We proclaim to you... What we've seen and heard so that you might also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So it's that relationship, our relationship with Jesus and, and with the father and with one another is what we're talking about. Uh, and again, make sure you haven't heard me say that doesn't mean that we can't have relationship with non-believers. Of course we can. Um, there's just something different about the relationships that we have with one another as believers are our, our, um, our hearts and our minds are... See, we have a different focus. We have a different promise. We have a, we have a different understanding of what takes place. And it, it connects us in ways that we can't connect with unbelievers. But uh, we certainly are to have relationship with people that don't believe yet. Because that's our mission. Um, and if we don't have relationships like that, we, we often don't have opportunities to uh, help people into the kingdom. Which is, our, which is our goal at the moment. Jesus said this... John 18:36 My kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews but now my kingdom is from another place it's it, just saying there that that the the kingdom the the, the rule and reign of God is is different than what's experienced here now but it's going to come and it's going to come in significant ways but we already experience it now and um so uh, behind christian fellowship the, the the reason is so important that we get together why do we get together why are we why do we gather all those things? It's so that we, um, we stay focused on what really matters, that we understand that gathering together to, and, and worshiping the one that we love and celebrating the one that we love and having a meal together and talking about biblical things together and encouraging one another and talking about silly things together and, and all those things, all of it helps us to, to stay focused on the one that we love and, and understand what that's all about. And it, uh, it causes us to sharpen one another in, in the process. You know, we help one another. We build one another up. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We, we do all those things. And that's why fellowship is so important in the process. So those are two pretty big ideas. But that's uh, all that we're going to get to in, uh, in this video. So uh, thanks for watching. And we'll, we'll pick it up right here in Vineyard 301. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.